All right, good morning. It's January 20th, 2014. This is Solder Smoke 158. I am home recording Solder Smoke because it's a holiday in the United States. It's Martin Luther King Day. Happy MLK Day to everybody. I think Dr. King would have would have liked the friendly, fraternal aspects of ham radio. Uh, winter is definitely upon us, and the DX100 heating season continues here at uh, Solder Smoke headquarters. Another sign of winter, straight kenite. I had a ham radio tradition here in the United States, um, and I actually participated in this year, in it this year. We were um, free of social obligations on uh, on New Year's Eve, other than driving kids around to different social locations for them. But um, I fired up the uh, Helicrafters HT37 and the Drake 2B, and I pulled out my old straight key. There was a, a harrowing moment. The straight key actually seemed to rebel against this effort and fell apart. The springs and ball bearings fell out all over the table. And I had to frantically try to get the uh, the straight key back into operating condition before the uh, the event started. But uh, we made it and uh, made about six or seven contacts. It was fun. Got up the next morning, made a few contacts there. And uh, so I was very happy to participate in the, uh, in the tradition. Uh, a great event. And I had a good time, but the main, the main focus of my effort here at Solder Smoke headquarters, and I guess this is the main theme of uh, of this this podcast, is uh, BidX. I have been bit by the BidX fever. You guys have probably heard about my BidX 17 rig. It is. It continues to produce amazing contacts. It's an amazing rig, an amazing circuit, and uh, I really, really like it. I like it so much that, as I've told you, I've I've started uh, construction. I'm now most of the way through the construction on a um, a second BIDX. This is what I'm calling the BIDX 2040, a dual bander. And uh, I built it in with the same the same same basic circuit, of course, and the same physical architecture, the same uh, PC board, about eight inches by eleven inches, about the size of a piece of printer paper. That's the board. Thanks to um, to Jim XAL7RV now W8NSA, who provided the basis, the real basis for uh, both of these projects in the form of a beautiful big copper-clad board. Thanks again, Jim, for that. A- anyway, um, so the whole thing is spread out on the board, pretty much in the same way as I did with the BitX17. I, of course, tried to do things a little bit differently and, and take advantage of lessons learned, lessons learned during the first project. But um, I have it almost all together now. It's all on the board, sitting over there on the workbench. We'll, we'll take a listen to it here in a little bit. But um, the uh, both um, the receiver is working and working very, very nicely on on both bands. And just the fact that I have a, um, a band switch is, for me, uh, a real step forward. I've never built a, a rig that, that covers more than one band, other than the uh, made for the mighty midget receiver many many years ago that covered um, 80 and 40. Uh, this one, the 2040 rig, um, is my first uh, transceiver, the first band, first rig that transmits that, that covers um, both bands or, or more than one band. I've done the band switching in kind of a clunky way, and I know that uh, some of the more advanced uh, listeners will kind of wince when I say, when I describe how I did this, but I did it all with relays. Which kind of goes against the uh, the grain with the bidx because um, TR switching in the bidx transceiver 
is uh, admirably free of, of relays. It's all done by by diodes and providing uh, 12 volts to the uh, to basically a transmit line of diodes or or a receiver line of diodes that fire up um, different halves of the uh, the bidirectional um, amplifiers in the rig. But um, I kind of like relays, and relays are, are simple and easy. And I got a bag of um, of 10 double pole double throw uh, 12 volt relays on eBay. These little yellow rectangular uh, relays. I'm sure you guys have seen them, and they seem perfect for this application. So what I did is, as I built the bit X, I'll describe it. Um, I built two low pass filters, one for 20, one for 40. And then in the part of the circuit where there are bandpass filters, again, I built one, one for 20, one for 40. And I put relays on either side of these two filters. So imagine four relays, one at the input, one at the output. And um, it's just set up so that um, the rig is normally in 40 meter mode. But when the relays are activated, the um, both of the two the, the filters are switched up so that there's a 20 meter low pass filter and a 20 meter band pass filter. That takes care of the filters but there were a couple of other things that needed to be switched and I use relays here also. Um, you know um, 40 meters is a lower side band uh, band and 20 meters is an upper side band band and uh, sure enough I needed to move my BFO from one side of the crystal filter band pass to the other side of the crystal filter bandpass. So there's a fifth relay in this rig that puts the BFO on 20 meters on the low side of the IF pass band, allowing for the reception of upper sideband signals. And then when I throw the switch, the band switch, it's so cool. It's just, I got this big band switch and bang, I throw it and the band switches. And all this stuff happens automatically. Anyway, when I throw the switch to the 40 meter position, the BFO is shifted, shifted up to the high side of the crystal filter bandpass, allowing for the reception of lower sideband signals. And the this BFO switching, I was a little bit worried about it when I realized <laughs> that I had to do it. Um, and I briefly thought about building two separate BFOs, but it really wasn't necessary because all I did was I have the relay on the um, separating the crystal, the BFO crystal from ground. And in one position, it switches in a coil which puts the BFO on one side of the passband. I have a little adjustable coil. And in the other position, it switches in a, a cap, a little variable trimmer cap that puts the BFO on the other side of the, of the, of the band pass. And guys, it really, it works like a charm. I had trepidation about this, but it, uh, it, it was really no problem at all. And it's, it's kind of cool that, you know, there's no, there's no real need for an upper sideband or lower sideband switch on the front panel. Because if I'm on 20, I'm going to be on upper sideband, and if I'm on 40, I'm going to be on lower sideband. So I decided just to let it let that that switchover occur automatically by the relay, and it, and it really works great. The, finally, the final relay, the sixth relay, uh, there's a little relay in the um, in the VFO box. For the first time, I've actually I actually have a separate box for the VFO. More about that in a minute. But there's a a box like all the experts recommend with the VFO in it. And inside, I have a little relay that throws in an additional 200 picofarads into the BFO into the VFO circuit. I'm sorry. So um, with an 11 megahertz IF, and I'm using an 11 megahertz crystal filter, 
um, the VFO needed to be shifted by about 500 kilohertz to get the proper band on 40 and the proper band of frequencies on 20. So there's a little relay inside the VFO, and when that band switch is changed, the relay activates, moving the VFO frequency by about 500 uh, kilohertz, which is perfect. The whole thing is kind of clunky, but but I really like it, and it, it it's it's kind of neat, and it's very very satisfying to throw that band switch and have everything happen automatically, and you bing, you go instantly from 20 to 40, and it's just fantastic. <clears throat> The VFO, this is, um, yeah, I built a few VFOs before, but this is the one that I've built, I guess, most carefully. And it, um, it's remarkably stable. I, I noticed that sometimes if the, uh, if the DX100 heating system hasn't been activated and the, and the ham shack is kind of cold when I come in in the morning, as the ham shack heats up, it, it drifts a little bit and it might be also drifting as the, um, as the circuits, uh, you know, a little bit of warm up with the rig. But once the, uh, the warm up period is passed, the VFO is is really remarkably uh, stable, no problem at all. Certainly stable enough for uh, for for, uh, for QSOs and easy listening. I'll again, I'll go over and we'll do a little uh, band sweep with the rig here in, in a minute. I um in figuring out the uh, when you when you're building a VFO, you have to do a lot of kind of figuring about the values of the capacitors and the coils and and because one capacitor will change the uh, the amount of band that you're covering, the other will change the uh, kind of the top and the bottom portion of the band. One will change the impact of the variable capacitor that you're using. I was I've been fortunate in both projects that I had these really nice uh, variable capacitors that I pulled out of Heathkit QF multipliers, QF1 Q multipliers. Uh, my 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 dislike for for regenerative circuits may have contributed to my willingness. To sacrifice these two Heathkit QF1s, but uh, <laughs> I, I knew I was never going to use them, and uh, so I pulled the capacitors, the variable capacitors, out of both of them, and uh, uh, they're really nice. They've got uh, like a four-to-one reduction drive in the capacitor, so they tune very, very, very smoothly. And I, I use one in the VXO on the 17-meter rig, and now I'm using. A second one in the VFO of um, the the 2040 rig, and it works works really great. Um, I'm really having a good time with that. Um, but anyway, in in figuring out the very the, the values for the capacitors and the coils in a VFO, I found that an ordinary spreadsheet was was really useful. And so I just fired up a, a, a computer spreadsheet and started plugging in values for coils and capacitors. And it, it really, really worked, worked very well. And I, you know, just plug it, you can even plug in the formula for the resonant frequency. And you, you end up seeing very clearly, uh, the results of your changes as you change, as you fiddle around with various coil and capacitor values. And of course, I found when I actually moved over to the circuit, the, the spreadsheet and the, the math, uh, predicted very, very well what would happen, uh, in the actual circuit. That was, that was a lot of fun. You know, in every project like this, you make mistakes, <laughs> especially if you're working in, in little short chunks of time, very often early in the morning before the coffee has kicked in, and that's that's often the situation with me. So I made a, a number of, of mistakes, and I know I know the solder smoke listeners really enjoy 
hearing about these these errors, these mistakes, these goofs. Uh, some some folks often well, I, I occasionally get uh, email from people who say that you know one of their favorite moments in solder smoke was when I described how I had very carefully soldered in a very large chip with lots and lots of uh, of, um, of little legs on it into my um, uh, frequency counter, you know, only to discover that the the thing had been soldered in completely upside down. Um, this one wasn't that bad, but it, it's sort of in the same vein. Um, let me ask you guys a question. 2N2222 transistors are our, our, our famous beloved 2222 popcorn transistors. Um, emitter base collector, right? EBC. You're looking at the thing, the little flat face of the transistor is facing you. So you know on the left is the emitter, the center is the base, and on the right is the collector, emitter base collector, right? I thought so too, but not always. And that is what I discovered in this rig. Because I had gone ahead and assembled a number of the, the circuits on the uh, the bit X. And then I decided to go in and do some kind of gain calculations for the um the bi-directional amplifier stages and I was getting all kinds of weird and disappointing results so I started troubleshooting I started poking away these transistors that I was using by the way are new I got them from I had a bag of transistors uh, I think from Mauser and so I'm looking and I can't figure it out I can't figure it out and, and it, re it really had me scratching my head for a while and finally I just it just occurred to me that the results I was seeing were sort of similar to what you would see if you got the collector and the emitter backwards. You know, the, the transistors will kind of sort of work, but not really. So sure enough, I, I pulled them out and I started testing and comparing. And then I turned to the, uh, to the computer and pulled up the data, the data sheet on this particular 2N2222 transistor. It's a P. I guess the P was supposed to be the Q, the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the clue here. But sure enough, um, collector, base, emitter for this particular kind of 2N22 transistor. So um, I warn you, fellas, uh, it's not always emitter, base, collector. In this case, it was collector, base, emitter. I went in there. I had to change around about eight transistors. It wasn't a big deal. I did the whole job in about a half hour and believe me they work a lot better that way <laughs> I, I'm thinking there should be a law this should be against the law there, there should be some sort of prohibition to throwing this kind of uh, <laughs> obstacle in the way of amateur radio homebrewers uh, other mistakes too um, let's see when I was building the audio amplifier I, I used a uh, instead of putting in a 4.7 kilo ohm uh, collector resistor I um, I put in a uh, 4.7 ohm uh, resistor, which is, of course, a 1,000-fold difference. Again, the circuit sort of worked, but I, I noticed and I was disappointed that, that the audio from uh, from the BIDX 2040 was um, significantly less voluminous than the uh, the nice audio that I get out of the, uh, the BIDX 17. So... Good thing I didn't just decide to live with it, and I started poking around and testing and measuring, 
testing and measuring. That's what Wes tells us. That's what Farhan tells us. You got to do it. And so I, I did it and, and it didn't take me long to discover that the, uh, there was a significant difference in the, uh, value of the, uh, of the collector resistor in the first audio stage. Again, it, uh, it works a lot better when you use the 4.7 kilo uh, resistor. Um, Coils on this rig, uh, I'm kind of, kind of, it's kind of fun. The I might, I think I mentioned last time that the, the VFO coil, I did not use uh, a toroidal inductor for the VFO coil. Uh, Doug Dumas and many others have pointed out that the uh, the, the permeability of the of the ferrite or even iron powder is kind of fickle temperature-wise. So um, they always recommend air coil, air core uh, coils. Mine is sort of a combination air core, cardboard core. I used a, a bit of cardboard from the lower portion of the uh, coat hangers that come from the dry cleaners. That little cardboard tube, I guess it's about, oh, about half an inch in diameter. And I just cut off a piece with a hacksaw and used that as the core for the, um, for the main coil on the VFO. Um, the, uh, other coils that I had to, to wind. Let's see, for the 40 meter uh, coils, I I need for the 40 meter bandpass filter, I uh, I needed some some coils, I think in the in the uh, around the four microhenry range. And I reached into the junk box and I, I found some very cool little adjustable coils that, that Mike Rainey AA1TJ had sent me in a care package some time ago. So I immediately decided to use them, not only because they were of the appropriate value, but I knew it would add some very cool Vermont soul to the new machine. You know, I, I really like it when you can use parts that were sent by a friend and uh, and make them work in the circuit. And these things work perfectly. I went in there and it was great. And it, it's it's very satisfying to adjust those those little uh, green um, screws in these little coil cans to get that bandpass filter right on frequency. So thank you, Michael, for those uh, those coils. They're in there. They're green, like the green mountains of Vermont. Very nice. Sold in a new machine. Um, you know, uh, I've been trying to do more measuring, more math, more uh, more rigorous analysis of the circuits. And uh, and I mentioned before that I was trying to calculate the gain of each stage. This is... Uh, not as easy as it might seem. You really have to get a good handle on the input and output impedances of the stages that you're working on, um, and it's kind of difficult. I don't really have the uh, a lot of the test gear here that I needed to do this. That I need to do this. I need to build um, return loss bridges and, and learn to use them. Uh, Mike uh, KL7R many years ago was already into this, but I have I've not yet. Uh, mastered these techniques but just to get a good get a sense of the uh, the input and output impedances of these stages I went ahead and used LT spice and uh, built up little models of the circuit there so at least you could get a, a kind of a, a ballpark figure of what kind of impedances we're talking about it's um, it's very interesting the the bi-directional stages in the in the bid X as, as Farhan points out in his article and as West points out in, in other articles also, they, uh, the the input impedance is they're they're in a sense transparent because the input impedance is affected by the output impedance, 
by the load that you put on the transistor circuit and, and vice versa. So they have a characteristic impedance of about 170 ohms, sort of like a, uh, like a transmission line. But as with a, a transmission line, the actual impedance that you experience at the input is um, a reflection of what, what you have at the output. And uh, so there's some, some real, there's some interesting formulas that uh, allow you to take a look at how the, uh, the load is going to affect the input impedance and vice versa. And you can see that with LT Spice. So it was kind of cool to use LT Spice to make those calculations. Um, I also have been trying to do more uh, rigorous work with the crystal filters. And I followed Farhan's advice on this and I actually characterized the crystals. There's a method known as the G3 UUR method and it, it yields for you the, uh, the motional inductance and the motional capacitance of the, uh, of the crystal. It's, it's kind of cool. And then you could use various pieces of software on the internet to, uh, to design your, your crystal filter. I use the AADE software, the almost all digital electronic software. The guy who, uh, who, who made the LC meter that so many of us depend on has some really nice crystal design filters on there. I, I need to learn better how to measure the, uh, the resistance, the, 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 um, the, the equivalent series resistance, the ESR. And from that, the, the Q of, of the, um, of the crystals that I'm working with. I noticed on the data sheet for my 11 megahertz crystals, the, the manufacturer gave a, um, a figure for the equivalent series resistance, but it was kind of uncertain. It said an ESR maximum of uh, 30 ohms. So I didn't actually measure it, but I did a lot of the calculations using that. I know there are methods to to more accurately measure the ESR and get the Q, uh, but I haven't done that yet. That's uh, that's for later, I guess. I did, however, manually um, sweep the resulting crystal filter, and I did it in a way, a kind of a again a kind of a clunky way, but but it worked. Um, what I did is I took the Arduino uh, AD9860 DDS signal generator that I built a while back, and I also took the new uh, Rigol oscilloscope that Santa Claus brought me, and putting proper terminations on either side of the crystal filter, I, uh, I swept the filter at 100 hertz increments. This is, again, a kind of a clunky, non-automated way of doing it, but I just sat there with a notebook and uh, started the, the DDS signal generator uh, below the crystal passband and then just started by hand incrementing the frequency of the signal generator up. I was working at 100 hertz intervals and I just wrote down the results. Um, I then took the results and went to the spreadsheet and plugged the uh, the results into the spreadsheet and uh, and graphed the uh, and, and then had it produce a graph that produced a rough uh, graph of the um, um, of the uh, of the passband of the crystal filter. Now, I think it's it's important you get a distorted view if you don't use a logarithmic display. Uh, a lot of times the um, uh, the people who are doing this automatically are using one of the W7ZOI power meters that use, in, that has within it a logarithmic display. 
but if you don't use a logarithmic display it comes up with all kinds of distorted you get a very distorted graph so I didn't use the uh, W7ZOI power meter I was just using the uh, the uh, RMS um, voltage readings from the Rigol scope but then in the spreadsheet I had it converted to uh, a logarithmic display that produced a much more um, kind of understandable and useful graph but it was very cool to to do this to take the uh, to take the uh, the results of my little manual sweep and put it in a spreadsheet fiddle with the math a little bit and come up with uh, a graphical display of the uh, of the filter now it's not completely pretty it's uh, it, it lets lets me know I, I designed the filter to be a bit broader I like kind of broader um, frequency response in my rig so instead of the standard you know 2.5 kilohertz bandwidth I think I went with like a 3 kilohertz bandwidth just to, to keep it a little bit broader and it sounds I think it sounds nice and you could see the the broader response in the graph that I produced by this procedure so uh, that that was that was nice however the um, there's a lot of ripple and dips and <laughs> ugly kind of mountains and valleys not a lot but a couple in the uh, in the band pass and uh, I know that's the result of kind of weirdness in the, um, the termination impedances I haven't really made much of an attempt to to match the impedances and I think if I did that better I would get the smoother flatter top um, frequency response so again that's uh, kind of a refinement that I'll work on once I get this rig uh, completely done I, I, right now though honestly the uh, the receiver sounds fine and I feel confident that the transmitter would sound fine so if you didn't tell anybody about it nobody would really notice it but I, I, I want to get it right so I'll go back in there eventually when I get this rig finished and, and, and fix it up one other thing that I'd like to do and I don't know if anybody has done this I imagine they have but I, I'd really like to do it I want to build the entire Bidex rig in LT Spice all of it including the crystal um, uh, filters um, and uh, w, uh, WA5BDU I, I use his his um, his uh, Nick Kennedy has a great little guidebook to LT Spice and he describes in there how to how to put crystals in there crystals in your uh, in your LT Spice model and I've done that and so I think I'm not too far away from being able to build the entire Bidex in LT Spice and then that'll be I think a useful a useful tool, certainly useful learning tool. So that might be uh, a project here once I get the uh, the real world LT Spice uh, done. Okay, so then I have to, I still have to build the finals. I, I sent a note to Steve Snort Rosen Smith and told him that he would be very pleased and proud that I built in this rig for the very first time. I built the low pass filters, the low pass output filters, the harmonic filters before I constructed the final amplifier. So there's really no way that I could be in violation of FCC regulations here, Steve. And I, th I thank Steve for keeping me on the, the straight and narrow. And I again thank um, George Dobbs, uh, G3RJV, for um, the, the harmonic filter tables that I used from the GQRP uh, website. I uh, made use of those, um, those tables that, uh, that George provided. Um, so today, the only thing that needs to be done today is the uh, building of the uh, the driver and the final amplifier. I have confidence it worked well with the last rig. I didn't have a whole lot of 
uh, weeping and gnashing of teeth at this stage in the project, but um, we'll see how it goes. I have a little bit of space left on the board, I think sufficient for, uh, for the two stages that needed to be built, that need to be built. And uh, I think we'll be melting some solder. I may have this rig on the air today. So stand back, everybody. Uh, five watts coming down the, uh, the coax. Um, also, then, we, we have to get into cabinetry. Uh, cabinetry related to what George Dobbs called uh, socketry. <laughs> uh, I have the box, the same kind of box that I used for the VX, VX-17. And I went out and bought a roll of... Uh, copper flashing like kind of copper coil and my intention is to line the inside of the box with this copper coil copper foil rather and get a little bit more uh, shielding um, so that's the uh, one of the next stages here I'm also I've also consulted with people about how to paint this box and I'm told that linseed oil on the walnut would be quite nice so uh, I have to go out and get some linseed oil so there'll be a, a temporary diversion from electronics and uh, kind of a uh, a little interlude with uh, with cabinetry, so I'll I'll work on that. Let's see what else I want to mention. Oh, a couple of just practical things. Uh, new procedures for the development of a notebook manual for each rig. I um, I know you're supposed to do this. This is a really good idea. Kind of develop your own manual notebook for each rig that you're building. And I again I followed the device of the the advice of the. Uh, of the uh, the wizards here, and I, I am doing that, but I find that it's it's easier for me if I do it sort of one sheet of paper at a time. So every time I go to the bench, I have a clean sheet of eight and a half by eleven paper, and I just sort of jot down notes as I'm taking measurements and doing things. Draw little bits of schematic. Draw the uh, the actual values, for example, that go into the the low pass filter, and uh, and then at at the end of each kind of session at the workbench, I just take that piece of paper. And clip it into what uh, use just little big big paper clips. Clip it together into the book, and over the course of the project, you end up with um, you know 20 or 30 of these pages that becomes in essence the uh, the manual for your new your new rig. Uh, I, I just find it a very kind of practical and easy way to do the uh, the the documentation, and I've done it now for the BIDX 17 and for the 2040. Going to be going to the uh, Vienna Wireless uh, Hamfest here in uh, Northern Virginia uh, next month, and the guys at the Vienna Wireless Society have asked me to do a talk, and I've decided to do it on the BIDX. So I'm going to talk about the BIDX and encourage some um, some some homebrew phone. I think this is the this is a particularly good rig to get uh, new hams involved in uh, in homebrew, even if it's not their first project. It could be sort of a project that they will eventually take up. You know, many of the new hams are not that interested in, in CW, so I think it's important for us to, to present to them rigs that they could build and uh, and and use their um, use use on phones. So I think that's another reason to be very very uh, excited about about the BitX. All right, let's see what else. Lots of other stuff going on. Oh man, the the new event, the big event. It happened. It happened just a few days ago. Uh, Farhan has. Um, unveiled his new rig, his new Minima. It's called the Minima. And it's uh, it's really, really interesting. It's really captured the attention of a lot of people. It's it's sort of like a Bidex, but it's general coverage. Can you imagine general coverage? And it's 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 sort of like the Bidex in that it uses some bi-directional stages. It uses 
all discrete components with one big exception. And the big exception is that it incorporates for a lot of the, the functions of uh, frequency generation in the rig uh, an Arduino and, and an SI570 uh, frequency generator chip. Two chips are in there. So there's two chips. It's really cool. I think it's this, this is also the kind of rig that I think will be very interesting to newer hams, younger hams, because it's sort of the best of both worlds. It's got the, uh, the discrete component analog circuitry in there, but it's also got the, the Atmega, the Atmel chips in there from the Arduino, and it's got an SI570. It's got a sketch to set up the frequency uh, operations of these parts of the circuit. So take a look. It's on, uh, on Farhan's site. I have a link to it on my blog. I think uh, this is going to be, be a huge hit. Let's see what's going on. Little bits and pieces of news here. Um, kind of worried about Radio Shack. Uh, I've, I heard on, on NPR that Radio Shack might be kind of in trouble because there's, uh, apparently not a lot of customers for their, um, kind of homebrew radio stuff. Uh, that, that would be a shame. Yeah, I really like to be able to go down to the end of the quarter and buy a, some, some, some transistors and some 0.1 microfarad capacitor. So fingers crossed. Uh, I hope Radio Shack survives. Uh, our friend up in New York City, Preston Douglas, has been uh, sending me emails about his uh, repair of an old uh, S107 uh, receiver. Very interesting. Preston got it all done and um, did some. Hold on a second. I got to pause here. The dog is barking. All right, I'm back. Uh, yeah, the dog. <laughs> okay, uh, as I was saying. Um, up in New York City, Preston Douglas working on the repair of an old S107 receiver. He got it going, and he, he made a comment that when he got that receiver fired up for the first time in many years, it was an experience sort of like first light, it's sort of like when you let the, uh, the light go through a telescope for the first time. And this prompted a little bit of an interesting exchange on the, uh, uh, on, on the email, and um, I, I pulled out the old book, First Light, the book that I like so much, by um, uh, Douglas Preston. Let me see. Hold on. No, by Richard Preston. And I, I went and told uh, told uh, Preston Douglas up there in New York City that, uh, that that it was particularly appropriate for him to use the, the term first light in uh, in describing his experience with the new receiver because. Um, <clears throat> this the first light book written by a guy who's sort of his namesake um, says here it notes in the in the dust cover an asteroid has been named Preston in honor of first light Preston is a lump of rock the size of Lower Manhattan again appropriate because uh, Preston lives on Manhattan Island and it says it is likely someday to collide with Mars or Earth or the Earth anyway uh, um. Preston told me that he has connections with uh, with Richard Preston and his brother Douglas Preston, and they've they've exchanged uh, some jokes about the similarities of the names. So anyway, congratulations, uh, Preston, on the S107 repair and indeed first light, great stuff. Been working with um, Doc uh, Wilcox uh, on an effort to get the old book Atoms and Amperes back into print, and uh, we thought that we might be able to write to the publisher. It's Babani in London, and ask them if they could either 
allow us to, to distribute it electronically or whether they would consider putting that great book by F.A. Wilson back into print. Sorry, sorry guys, no joy. The suits at Babani said no, so we're stuck. Uh, it's kind of sad. Um, another uh, sad story, but, but one that turned to joy is the uh, the story of my Tech 465 um, oscilloscope. I mentioned that it died, um, I think, shortly before. It died in the fall. It died back in September. I'd left it on too long, and it, it just it just no scan, no trace, nothing. I worked on it. I tried. Um, a very nice fellow from the UK uh, sent me a replacement high-voltage multiplier. I, I put it in there, but I still couldn't get the thing to work, and I had really thrown up my hands on this thing. Santa Claus brought the Rigol scope, so I, I was pretty much, I, I admit, I was, I was kind of moving on. And uh, I had the whole thing boxed up in the corner. I hadn't quite figured out what I was going to do with it. And then, this is amazing, a fellow who had been, uh, who stumbled across the blog um, and who is a real expert on tech oscilloscopes wrote to me and said, he's a radio amateur and in keeping with the uh, the tradition of the International Brotherhood of Electronic Wizards, wrote and said, Bill, I'll fix your tech scope for you. Send it to me. So I I put it in a box, sent it off, and and he fixed it. It's fixed. It's coming back. UPS is bringing it back today. It's it's in the UPS truck, inbound to Solder Smoke headquarters as I speak. So it's going to be great because, as Alan Walkie has has pointed out, the uh, the digital scopes are great for many things, and they're an excellent tool. And I'm really glad I have the Rigol scope there. But there are many things that we do. Um, that that really are more uh, appropriately handled by an old analog scope. I mean, following the uh, uh, kind of the um, the voice patterns on an SSB or a double sideband transceiver, it seems to be handled better by the uh, the analog scope. So it's good to have them both on the bench, and I look forward the uh, the Tech 465 is going to re return to its place of honor on the um, the solder smoke bench. So uh, thanks to Thanks to everybody who helped out with that, especially Alan and uh, Jim, W8NSA. Special thanks to you, Jim, and uh, and of course to the to the fella in down south who uh, who offered to fix this scope for me. I hope he's going to let me uh, kind of uh, let everybody know about his skills and abilities. But uh, so far, I think he's asked me to kind of keep it quiet. But uh, the thing it's 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 going to be so great to get this thing back. I can't wait for the UPS truck. Uh, to arrive um, on the Rigol scope, the new digital scope. I like it. It's a bit different, but it's got an amazing amount of capability in there. It does all kinds of math for you. You can hit the measure button, and it, it just digitally outputs the uh, the RMS voltage calculation. There's a frequency counter in the scope. All kinds of wild uh, filtering capabilities. Uh, you know, I originally got the the 50 megahertz version of the Rigol scope. And it, it, the 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 the, uh, the actual scope that I got had some problems. It it didn't boot up properly. Sometimes it did. It sometimes it didn't. But it was obviously the kind of thing that I was gonna uh, I was gonna return it to get a, a a model that works fine. I don't think there's any design flaw. It just happened that the one I got was a bit messed up. But before I sent it back, I got an email from from somebody who said, you know, Bill, you probably really should have got the 100 megahertz version of the scope. It's about the same 
money and it's uh, 100 megahertz. So when I returned the 50 megahertz scope, I had them replace it with a uh, 100 megahertz scope for just a few dollars more. And uh, so I have the 100 megahertz cap capability. I, I, I really like it. It's, uh, it's nice and uh, it's a lot of fun. And um, I'm really glad I have it here. So uh, thanks for everybody who provided advice. And thanks to, uh, to Mrs. Claus, to Elisa, for getting me the, the scope. Um, let's see. But try, I was trying to think of New Year's resolutions for, for the shack, you know, for, for things that we could do for 2014. And I came up with some, some guiding principles, but, but I'm already violating them. <laughs> so, but let me tell you what, what my thoughts were. I thought that, and everybody's going to have a different kind of matrix for themselves, a different kind of, uh, kind of set of parameters for, uh, for, for what they, what they build and what they work on. But for me, I was kind of deciding that, uh, my rigs were going to be going forward. I'm going to try, I was going to try to do all homebrew rigs, try to go aim towards an all homebrew station. Of course, the, the boat anchors will remain here, the beloved boat anchors. So they'll be the only real kind of commercial, the part of the shack. But try to go all homebrew, and in the homebrew rigs, try to remain all analog and all discrete. And I was moving in this direction with the two bit X's. But when I saw Farhan's minima, I thought, man, my 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 resolution only lasted until mid mid January because here comes the minima with the Arduino and the SI five seventy, and I feel certain that I'm gonna eventually have to build this beautiful rig. So, uh, yeah. See, see how quickly you fall away from the New Year's resolutions. The other thing, uh, the other point I was going to make was that, and I guess this was uh, kind of in response to my uh, getting a, the the Rigel um, digital oscilloscope, that while my test gear could be starboard digital, digital, while the rigs would be homebrew analog discrete component, it would be okay for me to have test gear that was starboard digital commercial. In other words, okay for okay for there to be appliances on the test gear side. <laughs> okay, good enough. Yeah, sure. There, there you go. So uh, I don't feel bad at all about uh, the uh, the fact that the Rigol has microprocessors in it. Okay, there we go. That seems to be pretty. That that one I, I seem doesn't seem to be too controversial, and, and uh, I'll be able to stick with it. But I, I also fell into problems on my third resolution again. It's only January 20th, and I'm already violating two of the three resolutions. Um, the third principle was no more repair or construction of test gear. In other words, I was going to say to myself, okay, I'm going to build the rigs, but I'm not going to be building or repairing test gear. I guess maybe I was traumatized by my uh, experience trying to fix the Tech 465. By the way, I came pretty close. I came pretty close. Close, but no cigar, but came pretty close. But no more repair or construction of test gear. And I'm already, I already know them in violation of this because, and I blame this on the guys from the New Jersey QRP Club, um, they, on the chat with the designers, uh, George and Bob were, were talking about the, the, the use of an Arduino and an AD, um, DDS chip to come up with an automated version of the filter sweeper that I just described. And again, I feel myself, um, being pulled in that direction, uh, M0 XPD and the boys at Kanga sent me a uh, a shield 
for an Arduino and the DDS chip and then chat with the designers. Wouldn't you know it? They come out with an episode in which they discuss the, the, the construction of an automated sweeper for the, um, uh, for, for the, uh, the analysis of a filter passband. And I know I'm going to have to build that. So there are my three guiding principles, my three resolutions for 2014. And it's January 20th, and I've already uh, violated uh, two of the three. Okay, looking ahead, what am I going to do? Uh, I'm going to finish up the, B the BitX rigs, and then I will have a BitX station for 17, 20, and 40. Um, then I think I'm going to try to build a hex beam, but maybe a flatter version of it. Uh, a hex beam for, uh, for 20 and 17, and maybe use the, whatever support I have up there on the roof to hang a better 40 meter inverted V or dipole. Um, I, I like the hex beams, but I don't kind of like the, 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 the look to where they're, they look like they're kind of blown out umbrellas. So I'm going to try to make mine maybe flatter. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but that's, that's my idea. Um, and then maybe a, um, a linear amplifier to take me up to 100 watts. Although it, it seems kind of pointless. And I know the guys from the GQRP club will be cheering when they hear me say this, but look, between 5 dB, at between 5 watts and 100 watts, it's only about, what, 13 dB, something like that. Uh, maybe 2S units, hardly seems worth it. And it is vain to do with more what you can do with less, or, or some version of that. Lord William Volcom, I think, said that. <laughs> so, but listen, I, I want to tell you guys, I had a kind of a, you know, 99.9% .9 of your ham radio contacts are with nice, friendly people, but there's a portion of them with people who are not in that category. And uh, QRPers out there will, will sympathize with this. I think the CW operators will kind of gloat because I don't think this happens so much on CW. But the other day I got on 17 meters with my um, little BitX rig, and almost everybody I talk to, when I tell them about the rig, they're really intrigued. They're full of admiration. They want to hear about it. They're, uh, they, they say, oh, I'd like to do that someday. The other day I got on, and I, a, a fellow was calling CQ, and I called him. And uh, then he started asking about the rig, and I told him that I was running five watts, and he actually got annoyed, you know, and he complained. He said, well, you're making me listen harder than I have to, and uh, why are you doing that, and why can't you turn up the power? It was all very unfriendly. And uh, so I, I, I wrapped up that QSO pretty quickly. They're out there, guys. <laughs> I told somebody the other day, I said, you know, there's a certain percentage of people in any, any walk of life who are just jerks and maybe jerks who've been drinking. But uh, that led to a, uh, a, a little uh, a most interesting man of the world meme that we put up on the, uh, on the Solder Smoke blog. blog. It, it was about 75 meters, but it could have applied to this QSO. But anyway, don't let those guys uh, bother you. Um, and then, you know, I, I, it was really great because the next, the very next guy I think that I talked to with the rig was completely the opposite. He was very, very supportive, very interesting. He was a fellow named Bud W4TRL, great guy. And uh, he was down there in Tampa. And when I told him about the rig, he went, as we spoke, and went out and pulled up uh, Farhan's schematic, started asking me about the circuitry, asking me about the construction. And that was, um, his name was Bud. He was W4TRL. He's 87 years old and 
and asked the best set of questions about the BitX that I, I've ever received. So that was really, really nice and a very nice uh, kind of um, contrast with the, the earlier kind of unfriendly attitude that I got from the, uh, the QRO guy, who, who, by the way, is a, a big boat anchor guy, too. I was kind of, I would have liked to have talked to him about the boat anchors, but he didn't give me a chance. Um, okay. All right. Let's see. Yeah. The mailbag has been accumulating. So. Ooh, that's awesome. Yeah. Solder smoke mailbag. Uh, got a nice email from a, from an old friend, Bert WF7I stroke four. Bert was the guy. He was out of the university of Virginia, Charlottesville. You remember his stories about, um, the, uh, uh, the the big antennas that those guys were building in the club at the University of Virginia. He's Bert's back. He's got a blog. He's doing all kinds of stuff. I've got a link up to the blog up on the Solder Smoke uh, blog page. Check it out. I think you'll like it. I'm glad that Bert is getting back into ham radio. He's got a BitX kit. I've urged I've urged him to blow the dust off it and, and build build that BitX, Bert. Um, Doug AA0MS was the guy who. Um, Prescribed linseed oil for my Bidex walnut cabinet. Cabinet. Thanks for that, uh, Doug. Um, KA7OEI offers me some very good advice on how to sweep, how to properly sweep the uh, the filters, the crystal filters in the Bidex. Um, Michael Black and W1CJM sent some nice um, follow-up posts to the discussion that Peter Parker, VK3YE, and I had in the last solder smoke regarding um, phasing rigs, uh, SDR rigs, I and Q. I, I still have to wrap my head around this a little bit more, but I thank you guys for sending that stuff in. Very, very interesting stuff and uh, kind of a, a way to another opportunity to kind of see the intersection between old technology such as the phasing rigs and the new technology such as the SDR rigs. Um, another fellow who's always at the cutting edge of new technology, uh, Mark K6HX, of the Brain Wagon blog, wrote in and uh, had some very nice things to say about the podcast and made a recommendation for another parts supplier, Tada, T-A-Y-D-A, Tada Electronics, as a source of uh, the kind of parts that we frequently use in this homebrew game. Thanks, Mark. Good to hear from you. Always enjoy the blog. Um, I got a question for the group. This comes to mind. Did anyone hear the um, the, the the low-frequency uh, Christmas Eve broadcast commemorating uh, the Fessenden anniversary. There was a station, I think in North Carolina, that was going to be tra- transmitting, I think, on 486 kilohertz or thereabouts on uh, on Christmas Eve, commemorating Fessenden's 1916 Christmas Eve broadcast. Did anybody hear that? Please let us know. Shoot me an email. Um, I've been exchanging emails with a fellow named Dennis on how SWR meters, how the directional couplers in SWR meters really work. And I'm going to ask a question that some of you guys are going to wish I didn't ask because it's going to get your head scratched and it's going to get you thinking. Think about it. How does that little SWR meter, that little um, monomatch, that little reflectometer, that little thing with the, you know, the little trace down the middle and the two pickup, pickup coils on the side, the standard SWR meter, the directional coupler, how does it work? How does it sort out electrons that are heading out to the antenna from electrons that are coming back from the antenna? Ask yourself that question. This is a very simple device. It's one that we have in all of our ham shacks, but 
uh, Dennis and I have concluded that very, very few people out there actually know how the thing works. Ask yourself the deep questions. I think we're on the verge of figuring it out. I think Dennis has figured it out. I think I'm getting close. But um, anyway, uh, <clears throat> uh, we're more on that to follow. And I've enjoyed the emails exchanges with Dennis. I mentioned Alan Walkie. Um, he's been a real, a real um, help on the Tech 465 struggle. He loaned me some high voltage pro probes. Alan has these amazing videos up on YouTube. You got to check them out. And he recently went over a million hits on YouTube. Go, Alan! I told him not to forget his buddies when he becomes a, a YouTube zillionaire. Got some great email from Dale W4OP uh, about his uh, moon bounce work on uh, 1296 megahertz. Very very cool. Thanks for sharing that us with with us, sharing that with us, uh, Dale. And um, let's see. Uh, da, 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 da. Oh yeah, more. Just I mentioned this earlier, but my my exchanges with Preston Douglas WJ2V up in the Big Apple. Uh, Preston also has a Tech 465 and was kind of concerned when he heard about my uh, uh, Tech 465 getting into trouble. Uh, Farhan over in India has a 465 too. Guys, I can tell you, you don't have to worry about the 465 because I know a guy. <laughs> like they used to say up in New York and New Jersey, hey, I know a guy. Uh, I know a guy who can fix 465s. So uh, you don't have to worry. I, I, I feel that we can press this fella into service if your 465s uh, go bad. But uh, he and I were kind of, when I, when I told him that I wasn't going to work on the 465 anymore, he and I kind of agreed that you have to know your limitations and pick your battles. For example, I, Preston and I both agreed that we're, um, we're not going to be climbing towers um, because, well, you can fall off. I also mentioned to him that, uh, that I, I'm going to be avoiding high voltage. I think it's kind of dangerous to switch back and forth between the world of 12 volts and the world of 1200 volts. So uh, I'm going to stick to the transistors and stay away from high voltage. This was one of the reasons I kind of gave up the fight on the 465. Those high voltage probes that Alan sent were a reminder of how scary that stuff can be. I also told, told um, Preston that I was thinking about just avoiding technology that I find frustrating. You know, uh, I don't exactly have a love affair with um, um, uh, regenerative receivers or with uh, computer technology. Earlier in the show, I, I pointed out that I'm already kind of violating that and probably will be heading back into Arduino land. Um, but um, anyway, uh, it was a good, nice exchange with um, with Preston. And um, I got a nice email from a VA3IAW. He had a bad scrape with uh, scraping enamel from toroid wire. He'd wound the toroids very carefully and then was scraping the enamel off the ends of the wires. He scraped a bit too much and clipped the wires and had to start over. Uh, yeah, uh, a bad scrape. Um, I, I told him, I said, I don't scrape, I burn. I have a little, uh, one of these little uh, kind of fire starters for the kitchen stove in the shack. And every time I need to get the enamel off, I pass it through the flame and get that enamel kind of crispy and then just scrape it off with some uh, Scotch-Brite or some sandpaper. Um, Scotch-Brite, good stuff to have in the ham shack. Those little cigarette lighters, kind of the fire starters for the stove available in supermarkets. That's also good to have. Anyway, uh, thanks for that email, VA3IAW. All right, guys, I'm going to bring the microphone over now. This concludes the mailbag, but we're going to have a band sweep here, too. Let me put the microscope, mic, mic, not the microscope, the microphone up to the speaker. I'm going to turn on. Do that.
Right, this is on 20 now. We're on 20. Hey, go in front of us. Yeah, we're going to be there today. <laughs> so, so that's what's happening up here in God's country. Again, it's 20 meters. I think that's the Dominican Republic by old stomping ground. Like an episode of Cops. out of the corner of my eye, and I didn't move. Boy, I'm following these orders. I'm thinking, what in the world is going on here? And they're giving commands. I, uh, I was back to a t-shirt, back to a t-shirt, and out there uh, working. And towards after about still on twenty. Right, I'm going to throw the big switch now. Here's the band switch. Hold on. Bang, we're on 40. A little bit of CW down there. So I'm at the low portion of the phone band now. We're in the phone band. Hold on. I think it's supposed to uh, affect um, uh, your area as much as it is here, but uh, I think uh, it's coming, coming close enough to um, southeast New England. Take $1,000 from each one. I'll take a thousand dollars. That's all the money I got in liquid cash because I'm an old fart and I can't hold on to cash because of a number of programs I'm in for the for the uh, for the old folks. Talking about my filters. Well, they must be talking about my filters. A lot of weather really discussion. 
Switch, switch, go back to 20. receiver man good stuff thanks to everybody who brought us this rig thanks to our friend Farhan for the design Wes for the contribution and all the people who've added to the kind of the the technical culture around the bidex all right and good luck with the minima viva la minima <laughs> seven three from northern virginia guys the Solder Smoke podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of Northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes and directly from our website, soldersmoke.com. Our blog, the Solder Smoke Daily News, is at soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Send email to soldersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. Solder Smoke is listener-supported, and there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Solder Smoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from lulu.com. 
Begin all your visits to Amazon via the Amazon link on our blog page. In this way, Solder Smoke gets a commission from anything you buy on Amazon. Buy some of our attractive Solder Smoke t-shirts, coffee mugs, and bumper stickers at the Solder Smoke store at CafePress.com. If you have a small business, consider advertising on the podcast or on the blog. Our rates are reasonable and our staff is friendly. If none of this appeals to you but you still want to help, well, we have a donation button in the upper left-hand corner of the blog page. However you choose to help, we thank you for your support. Ciao, bravi ragazzi!